The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jane Bryan Quinn. Uh, she is a uh, award-winning financial journalist for many, many years, and she's just come out with a new book called How to Make Your Money Last, uh, and I welcome you to, to the Money Answer Show, Jane. Hi, Jordan. Nice to be with you. Great to be with you. Um, so let's just kind of start with the, the retirement situation. This is, this is a book about uh, retirement, God. How are a lot of Americans ready for retirement or a lot of them not ready? Why did you say it, unnecess- it needed to be doing a book about this topic? I think uh, whether people are ready or not ready, and there's some of each, of course, when you retire, one of the first things you think about is, am I going to outlive my money? Whatever I have saved, uh, whether it's a lot, whether it's a little, how can I be sure that my money will last as long as I do? And it's a complicated decision to make because we are, we're all living so much longer. You know, when we, people who retire at 65 are apt to live now on average until their late 80s. And the population of 90-year-olds has tripled in the past three decades. So you simply don't know how long you or if you're married, your spouse will live and you have a certain pot of money that you have saved or other sources of income and you have to figure out how to make that money last for 30 plus years without going broke in your older age. It's, it's, it's very scary for people to make that decision. And particularly today where they're earning little or nothing, zero, on CDs and money market funds and treasury bills, the safe alternatives pretty, pretty much yielding nothing, it seems to make it even harder to get the income you need to uh, live a decent and comfortable life. Well, of course, this is the point. If you're 60, 65, uh, uh, and then you say, well, I'm older, now I have to go to income investments, then, of course, as you point out, there's no income from these investments. But you shouldn't be thinking of that anyway, because when you're 65, you're going to live another 20 or 30 years. You are still a long-term investor. And yes, you need something in CDs and you need something in bond mutual funds uh, to, to for the first five, seven years, whatever, of your retirement. But if you expect to continue your lifestyle later in your retirement, you're going to have to make your money grow. And if you, if people are, are, they get afraid of stocks, you have a market dip and everyone gets scared. But first, we've all been through this. At our age, we've all been through the ups and downs and the market always comes back. And you are a long-term investor. The question is part, what part of your money is should be in a broad-based stock-owning mutual funds um, to get you, when you're 10 years from now and 15 years from now and 20 years from now, if you do that, your money will grow. If you keep it all in CDs, then I agree, you're going to have a hard time. 
Now, particularly in today's environment, we've had a very bad start to 2016. The markets have dropped quite sharply. It seems like we're in a bear market here. How do you tell somebody to just keep putting their money in, even though the market keeps to be falling sharply? They're worried about another repeat of 2008, where they saw their values down 40, 50%, and they had to wait many years just to get back to even. In that environment, and people, as you say, there's a lot of fear. How do you tell people to react in that kind of environment we're in now? Well, first, you don't have all of your money in a stock-owning mutual fund anyway. So uh, assuming you have uh, some stock funds and then some bond funds, preferably government funds, because government funds went up in price in uh, the last 2008 collapse. Government funds are, are the right type of bond fund to have, even though they yield zilch. But anyway, only part of your money is exposed to the market. But here is the other thing. Um, I had somebody calculate for me. Uh, there's a market peak, and then it goes down, and then it goes back up to the peak. How long does it take to get your money back? How long do you have to wait? The average is 29 months. And anybody who is a long-term investor can wait 29 months. The longest was that period uh, from 2000 to 2006, and that took five years. But again, if you're a long-term investor, you can wait five years to, for you, the market to come back and go higher. This is what I'm sort of trying to explain. It's so easy to say, oh, this is what's happened in the past three weeks, and forgetting that you are in this for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, which is what you have in front of you, at least when you retire. Yes. Now, in the first chapter, you talk about the five stages of retirement. Let's just go through those briefly. The first stage uh, is... Uh, there, retirement is an emotional issue as well as a financial issue. And the five stages that uh, people looked at, first it's pre-retirement when you sort of disengage from what you're doing, but uh, you're a little worried, you talk to other people, you're not sure what you're going to do ahead, so you think about that, you make some plans. And then stage two is the honeymoon. You know, you're free, you have no more deadlines, you don't have to go to the office, you you do things you've been meaning to get done for a while, and it feels great. But then after a few months of this, maybe your days start feeling empty and you haven't planned enough for yourself to do, especially you know, younger retirees today. And so then the third stage, I mean, you can't play golf every day, or I can't, let's put it that way. Then the third stage is disenchantment. Your days seem to be a little empty. Uh, you feel the loss of status, you know, before you were a teacher or an electrician or a reporter or whatever, and now suddenly... Who are you? You're trying to figure that out. And the disenchantment stage can last a short period of time if you discover lots of other things to do, or sometimes it lasts for quite a while for people. But eventually you're going to come out of it. That's the reorientation. It suddenly dawns on you that you've got another 20 or 30 years. What are you going to do? You start finding things to do. You get the new status of engaged, interested citizen retired. You you straighten out your money. You find figure out how, how your money is going to last because it might have been going out faster than you thought. And then you reach the last stage, and that's stability. And everybody gets there. And the only question is how fast you get there, how, how much planning you do in advance, how careful your planning is. And, and 
and what you figure out that you're going to do with your time for the next 20 plus years. So you're saying a better way to do it and not to have to go uh, through that disenchantment phase is if you plan for an easier transition to retirement from the beginning and have a better plan for what you're going to be doing, then you don't have to go through that disenchantment. Is that what you're saying? Uh, that is ideal, although some people still go through the disenchantment because very often you don't plan enough. You think, um, maybe I'll start a business, but then maybe you don't. And you think, gosh, I, I volunteer for this organization. That'll be wonderful. I'll volunteer more. But maybe that turns out not to be enough. But at least that's something to start with. And if you have something that you're building on, uh, then the disenchantment phase is, is apt to be very short. Uh, and that's ideally, that's what you're looking for. Now, you say another thing you have to do is right-size your life. Uh, what do you mean by that? Now, people have two big homes, and they've got much more stuff than they need. They've got to downsize. What, what do you mean, and how should people right-size uh, to, their life? You, you don't necessarily have to downsize, but many people do. They choose to. Right-sizing your life means, to me, you... you, you have to project what your future income is likely to be, your Social Security, a pension if you have one, and then um, you, you look at whatever savings you have and you project how much you can take from your savings every year and still have your money last for 30 years. And you put these things together and you say, okay, that is the income I can expect. And then you look at your expenses and if they are higher than that, then you then you have to do something about it. You have to maybe nip and tuck, uh, which most retirees do, whether they tell their friends or not. Maybe it's something big. Maybe you have to sell your house. And if you do, the sooner you do that, the better. But the, the point is so many people approach it saying, how much income am I going to need? And that's backwards. You project, you say, how much income am I going to have? And then fit your expenses to that amount of income, and that's what I call right-sizing your life. And, you know, managing your spending and right-sizing your life is more important than uh, finding a higher-yielding CD or finding a better mutual fund. You've got to get your life right-sized first before you go looking for other investments because the other investments won't save you if you're burning through money all the time. Now, you say there are sp seven special situations to uh, kind of do the budget. The first one is real estate. So how should you make the decision about downsizing, sell your house, or should you stay there? How do you make that decision in the first case? Well, it starts with whether you have, um, you've gone through right-sizing your life. And if it turns out that uh, you're keeping your house is just going to be too expensive, maybe you still have a big mortgage on it, um, then you say, do I really want to keep this house? Maybe it's better to sell it and to uh, go move to a condo. It's something easier to take care of anyway. So you have to figure out and how to use that home equity. And if you get home equity out of your house when you sell and downsize, you add it to your savings investments, and that can improve your uh, income as it goes through. So the, what, what people do with their homes when they retire is often one of the biggest decisions they have to make. Can I afford to keep it? Should I sell it? If I sell it, um, what am I going to do with the home equity? Should I rent? But that's a huge decision. Everyone is going to answer that a little differently depending on how much it costs them to keep the house. What are the pros and cons of doing a reverse mortgage as a way of staying in your house 
and getting I- income out of it by investing that money uh, in something to produce income for you? Well, uh, it's interesting. I, I used to oppose reverse mortgages because they had some serious problems, especially for older people. But new regulations last year um, improved that situation, and so it's much, much less likely that older people will um, get a reverse mortgage, spend the money, and then have to be turned out of their house, which can happen or could happen, but it's not going to happen anymore. But here's a different way of using a reverse mortgage when you're younger. You know, I used to think, no, you don't want to take one at 62, which is your earliest age. But here's what you could do. You could take a reverse mortgage at 62. This is a loan against the equity of your house, and you don't have to... Don't have to pay it back. Uh, there are no uh, while you're still in the house. There are no monthly payments uh, when you sell the house. When you leave it, whether you die or go in a nursing home or just sell, then the loan plus the accumulated interest uh, has to be repaid out of the sales price of the house. If you took your home equity loan at 62 and took it in the form of a credit line, and that's important. No lump sums here because that won't do you, that, that won't help you. A credit line, and then the only thing you put on the credit line are the upfront expenses, which are considerable. After that, you do not borrow. You do not use your credit line. This is a magic credit line. Every year, the amount of your credit line goes up by the same amount of interest you are, are will be owing on the loan. So if you don't borrow for 10 years, uh, your credit line will have expanded considerably, and it's a good inflation hedge. It's another source of income if you need it 10 or 12 or 15 years from now because you've run short. Uh, it's a very interesting way to look at a reverse mortgage, but I wouldn't do it at 62 unless I were knew I was going to stay in the house for 15 or 20 years because you do want to amortize those upfront costs. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jane Bryant Quinn. Her latest book is called How to Make Your Money Last, The Indispensable Retirement Guide. You can get it at Amazon and also go to her website, janebryantquinn.com. We'll be back after this. Are you looking to get noticed in today's business world? Listen for Chat with Chickles, what they couldn't teach you in business school. This is the show that will help you survive and thrive in business today. It's what you can do differently that will help you stand apart from everybody else in the field. Lisa Chickles and her guests can show you just how to gain that unique edge. Chat with Chickles can be heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report, every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. My guest this week was Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under President Clinton, Mr. Henry Cisneros, who'll be here to talk about 13 trends which make investing in real estate in urban centers a sure bet. Don't miss Henry Cisneros this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. There are two types of leaders in business. Those who are nice, compassionate people. And frankly... 
They are the people who fail to get a lot done. Then there are those who can get everything done and so much more. But they are greedy, unethical, and self-centered. The Compassionate Samurai Business Hour with Kathy Fairbanks finds a way to use the best of both types of leaders to help you create a dynamic roadmap to success. Tune in every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jane Bryant Quinn, author of a new book called How to Make Your Money Last, The Indispensable Retirement Guide. You can find out more at Amazon.com or her website, janebryantquinn.com. Welcome back to the show, Jane. Good to be here. So we were talking about the seven special situations. Real estate we talked about a little bit. Healthcare is the next one. Uh, now, people are going to get Medicare, but they need Medicare supplements. What should you kind of count on as what, what out-of-pocket costs you're going to need in the current situation with healthcare? When you are, and we're talking within the, uh, the context of, of, of budgeting, uh, how, what are your expenses going to be when you retire? And, of course, with health care, you're never sure. But uh, people in Medicare spend out-of-pocket, on average, about $2,000 a year for just routine doctor and dental visits. And so you know what you're going to pay for your, for your um, Medicare Part B. If you get, you'll get a drug plan, you get, uh, maybe you get a Medigap plan. So you can budget those items. What you worry about budgeting are other expenses and that might be outside of those and that you can start with the 2000 a year or I advise you to start with whatever your out-of-pocket costs for doctors and drugs and hospitals and whatnot have been over the past year and I would simply project that ahead because you have no idea when an emergency will occur so you might as well project what you've been spending now out-of-pocket and then if something else hits, you're going to be putting a dent in your savings, then you can use that, and then you, then you redo your budget, if you will. But we're just talking about going ahead, how you budget when you don't know uh, what your medical expenses are going to be, and I think that's the best way of doing it. Are you concerned about the viability of Medicare? I mean, a lot of people, I think it's like 10,000 people a day, are turning 65 and joining Medicare and yet the revenues are not keeping up with it. Are you concerned? Is that something people should worry about or, or not worry about? Uh, Medicare is going to be there. It is, it, along with Social Security, are the country's two most beloved programs. Uh, you sort of saw what happened to George Bush when he tried to privatize Social Security. That went nowhere fast. And I know there are programs out there that want to privatize Medicare. And uh, I predict, I am certain, that will go nowhere fast because people don't want their Medicare touched. And that includes uh, voters who hate Obamacare, but, man, they love Medicare. So Medicare will be there. I think what is apt to happen is that higher earners might have to pay more as they did just a few years ago. The uh, um, Medicare Part B premiums went up for people with higher incomes. So I think that that's possible, but this program will not go away. I would not worry about that in the least. Okay. The next thing you talk about in special situations for retirees is debt. 
Uh, now, a lot of people older than 50 and 60 do have debt, where in previous, previous generations, they probably had paid off their debt. What do you recommend for people entering retirement with some debts? Well, first I would recommend that uh, while they are planning for retirement, which some of the people listening here, please think about that. When your paycheck stops, what are you going to do about your debt? You should be working really, really hard before you retire to reduce that consumer debt. I mean, that can be an absolute killer if you keep it up. And if you've already retired uh, and you have a lot of consumer, if you have a little consumer debt, you could probably get rid of it. You budget for it. You you pay it off before you do other things. And so that would be the sensible thing to do. But if you have really a lot of it, you know, you're going to wind up um, uh, having to work some more. You work longer. Maybe you take a part-time job. I think something like um, 20% of the Uber drivers are over 50 these days. It's a, it turns out to be a job that retired men in particular find that they can do. They can do on their own time. They can make some extra money to help pay off that consumer debt. And so that's the sort of thing that's going to have to happen if you don't want to go broke in your older age or be living only on Social Security. Specifically as it relates to mortgage debt, you say in your book about half of older people are entering retirement with a paid-up home, meaning half still have some mortgage debt. What would you recommend for people in that circumstance? They've still got a mortgage when the paycheck stops. I, I, first I tell them do not try to pay it off by tapping into your tax-deferred savings because that costs you extra taxes and there's no point doing that. If you have a small mortgage, uh, you should keep it, and if and you want to stay in your house, you should keep it, and again, budget for paying it off. If you have a large mortgage, that's a situation where you should think about whether you want to sell the house, take whatever equity you have, downsize, and do something better. You, your mortgage either becomes one of your ordinary expenses that you budget for. Uh, one thing you could do with a large mortgage with maybe 20 years on it, maybe you could refinance it into a 30-year mortgage. You know, you still have the loan, but you'd lower your monthly payments, which would improve your your monthly income if that was necessary. But the first thing I do is ask myself whether I really, really, really had to stay in this house um, or whether I could downsize. And when the kids come home to visit when I'm downsized, every couch in the house is a pull-out couch, and that's where they can stay. Very good. The next one is caretaking. Okay, by the way, Jordan, that's what I have. When I sold um, uh, a big house I had uh, in uh, suburban New York and I moved into the city into an apartment, every sofa in this apartment is a pullout, and I have a Murphy bed. <laughs> Very good. That's one way to save money and, and get rid of your mortgage as well. I can, I can sleep a lot of kids here. <laughs> Very good. The next one is caretaking. Um, how should you plan in advance to have the care you need? Should you get long-term care insurance, or what is the way to finance caretaking? Uh, First, if you are working and your spouse falls ill, uh, a normal thing to consider is I'm I'm going to quit my job, I'm going to take care of my wife, I'm going to take care of my husband, and because long-term caretaking expenses are high, but I would urge you first 
to consider keeping your job because first you'll be earning money, you'll be improving your Social Security when you eventually get it, um, you can keep on putting money into your own retirement account. So it often makes financial sense to keep the job and hire a home health aide to help your spouse at home. As for long-term care insurance, I have it. Uh, my husband has it. I'm glad we have it. The uh, the prices, uh, the premiums, of course, are high, so it's sort of a luxury purchase. If you can't afford the premiums, you know, then then you are going to have to find family members or do it yourself, or you will have to go into a nursing home if it's serious, if it's dementia. And the Medicaid program is actually pretty good. Um, my late mother-in-law, who lived with us for a while and had dementia, when she eventually went into a nursing home, she uh, she paid for it herself for a year out of her own funds, which is very important. Uh, you can get a better quality nursing home if you can pay for the first year or so yourself. And then Medicaid stepped in. We're in New York. It was a New York Medicaid program. And they just took over, and they uh, paid her bills for the rest of her life there. So it is a very plausible program is what I want to tell people who um, who worry about it. Um, it is certainly being cut. There are a lot of risks. There are more risks in Medicaid, I think, than there are in Medicare. But uh, if you can't afford it, that's what you've got. But if you and if you're super rich, of course, you don't need it. But um, long-term care insurance, I think, is a decent buy for someone sort of in the middle. And you worry about what would happen to you if your spouse went into the nursing home and a lot of your money had to go for uh, nursing home care. Yes. The next thing you talk about is helping your children. Uh, so a lot of retirees, the kids aren't making enough money or they need help with even their kids' uh, college education. Uh, what do you advise people as far as helping but not helping so much you're hurting yourself in retirement? Well, first, you're not obliged to send your grandchildren to college. Uh, that's the parent's job, and that is the student's job. If you can afford it and you want to help, I think that's great. But item one is you shouldn't do anything that takes away from the security of your own uh, retirement life. And that goes back to, to right-sizing, having your budget right, knowing how much money you need for your expenses and how much you're going to need in the future. And if you take a chunk out of your savings to help your kids or your grandchildren, then that's going to reduce the amount of income that you will have for yourself in the future. And you have to ask yourself, can you actually live on that? Now, certainly there are situations where you have no option. You know, you can't say, you know, tough luck in some extreme circumstances. Sometimes uh, it's divorce, sometimes it's illness. You know, you certainly do what you can to help if necessary, but it ought to be short-term, and you just, if you are doing this, you ought to bring your child or grandchild into your own budget planning right away so that they know uh, how much you can actually afford to spend and for how long, and you just have to make a plan for getting out of it. And if you have a child who's just overspending and turning to your wallet, man, you say no. That's a really easy answer. <laughs> 
That's it may be easy, but it's not easy in certain ways. Well, an well. able kid does not belong on your payroll. <laughs> you know, there are some things grown ups have to figure out by themselves and that's that's the one. Not a special needs child, then you have a different situation. But yes. somebody just overspending and coming to say, Ma, why don't you help out? I don't think so. And on the other side, instead of spending for others, how about receiving an inheritance? Uh, if you're expecting a big inheritance, how should that change your financial view towards financing your retirement? Well, if you have the inheritance in hand, well, that's fine. That's part of your savings and investments, and you can use um, sort of the recipes, if you will, that I have in the book, helping you show how much you can afford to take out of that money every year and have it last for 30 years. But um, if you don't have your uh, inheritance yet, uh, you should absolutely budget without it. Uh, your parents may be very long-lived. It may be a long time before you inherit. We're going to celebrate my mother's 101st birthday this wow. year, Jordan. <laughs> and so uh, I, if, if I were counting on an inheritance, I would be in pretty bad shape right now. <laughs> and sometimes a parent remarries and might remarry a younger person, and so the amount that you thought you were going to inherit will go to help support the spouse. Lots of things can happen to your inheritance from the time between the time you expect it and the time you actually get it. So you should live on what you've got, and if the inheritance comes, great. Then you can invest it. Then you can consider a different style of life, but not ahead of time. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jane Brand Quinn. Her new book is called How to Make Your Money Last, The Indispensable Retirement Guide. You can get it at Amazon.com, and you can also visit her website, janebrandquinn.com. We'll be back after this. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 
5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jane Bryan Quinn. Her new book is called How to Make Your Money Last, The Indispensable Retirement Guide. Welcome back to the show, Jane. I'm glad to be here, Jordan. You have a whole chapter on Social Security, and you say how to double your Social Security income, well, almost. So without going into all the details of it, what are some ways that people can maximize Social Security that they're not doing now? Uh, the major thing is not to collect it at 62. Uh, wait. Every year you wait to collect is a one more year when you will uh, start with a higher Social Security benefit. The difference between collecting at 62, which is the earliest you can, and 70, which is the latest you would want to, is 76%. If you wait till 70, your starting check will be 76% higher plus all of the inflation increases that have come along the way. And that's when I say that's how you can double your Social Security. If you are, uh, if you're broke, I mean, obviously, if you're early retiree, if you lose your job at 55 and you wind up going through any retirement savings you have, then you need Social Security. You know, sign up and be happy. But I see people taking it at Social Security uh, taking it at 62 because they think, well, if I wait for five years and then I die, I will have paid all those taxes and I wouldn't have got it, and so I'm going to take it right away. I will feel rooked if I don't take Social Security now. But, you know, Jordan, you will not feel rooked if that happens because you will be dead and you won't <laughs> be feeling anything. But what we do by delaying your Social Security, if you're married, is you leave something better for your spouse behind, and if it turns out that you are long-lived, you will create a better uh, retirement for yourself. I think that people should bet on living long rather than dying early, because our generation is living a whole lot longer than they expected, and this, this Social Security program is absolutely fantastic longevity insurance. If you're in your late 80s, you're in your 90s, you will have, by having waited, you will have a much higher standard of living than you'd have had if you started at 62. And just as you were not worried about Medicare, you're not worried about Social Security either, even though the, the actuaries say it's going to cross over and run out of money at some point, you, you, you say not to worry about it. Is that right? I, I uh, I say higher income people might find that their benefits are reduced uh, compared with what they are earning. Uh, I, I think all the target now is, in fact, on the higher income people as far as the um, uh, these basic social programs are concerned. But, Jordan, think about it. Uh, some people, oh, you know, Social Security goes away. Then what happens? Every middle-class family in America has to take in mother and dad, provide them with a place to live, provide them with you know, their food, their living, their entertainment. I mean, one, one of, you always think of Social Security helping, oh, poor old people, whatnot. First, it gives older people independence. And second, it gives their children, their adult children, independence because you don't have to be responsible for the complete support of a parent. That's what Social Security did to both generations. 
And anybody says, oh, well, we can't afford Social Security anymore, that Congress is going to be out of office. Uh, There's going to be a revolt. It's not even two years they have to wait for the um, next election. People need Social Security. It will be there. Now, as far as uh, an addition to that, uh, you have a chapter which you call, Should You Buy Yourself a Pension?, and this is on various kinds of annuities, which in the past I think you haven't been so hot on, but now you're more possibly inclined towards it. What are some of the pros and cons of getting annuities? And there are different kinds of annuities, immediate annuities, deferred annuities. Uh, right. If, if, uh, if you have a big lump sum from a 401k, how should you handle Yeah, I, I, I put them under two headings. There are white hat annuities, which are good guys, and black hat annuities, which are bad guys. I have not changed my mind on the bad guys, the black hat annuities. These are the deferred variable annuities with living benefits, blah, blah, blah. They are very expensive. They're, they are the annuities that... Um, uh, the financial advisors like to sell because they have uh, commissions of 5 7%, sometimes even 10%. They are very expensive. You pay 3.5% a year. You buy them because your money in the annuity is invested in mutual funds, and you think, well, uh, I'll get a higher income in the future out of this, and if I don't get the higher income, the company still guarantees me 5%. And that sounds like all gain, no loss. But here's the thing, Jordan. First, the expenses are so high, your chance of getting a higher income out of that annuity are practically nil. And second, uh, you are not earning 5%. The insurance company is not guaranteeing you 5%. What it is guaranteeing is that it will return your own money to you over time in 5% increments. You are getting your own money back in 5% increments. And if you live longer than um, sort of late 80s, mostly, then your own money runs out in these increments, and then the insurance company starts paying for you. So you aren't getting what you think. A better annuity, and so I'm still against those annuities, if you just Mm -hmm. noticed. The immediate pay annuity is a kind of annuity I like a lot. You put up a lump sum. You, um, The insurance company will tell you how much they will pay you every year for life. They, there's an easy way to find the insurance companies that pay the most at immediateannuities.com. And I recommend these for people who think their money will last for life, but they're not sure. Uh, after you're a few years into retirement, you take a look at what you've got, and if you think, you know, I think I might run out, you should take money out of a, a bond mutual fund, because you probably have that, and you should put it into an immediate pay annuity instead, and you will instantly raise your income, because you will get more monthly income, out, much more monthly income out of an immediate pay annuity than you get out of a bond mutual fund. And you make that decision probably, you know, as you're a little after 70 or whatnot, you've got a good fix on how much money you have, how good your health is. You've gone through all those options, and if you're in good health and you're worried at that point about running out of money, I would buy an immediate pay annuity in an instant. So you would lock, you're locking in a particular interest rate at the time you do it. So if you did it now, 
you'd be locking in a pretty low interest rate for a long for the rest of your life, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, but let's uh, let's say you're in your middle seventies and you don't think your money is going to last for life. You know, that's not the point, Jordan. The point is, can I raise the amount of monthly income I am getting? Remember that your um, your Social Security is inflation-adjusted. You would not use all of your money for the annuity. You would still have some money invested in a broad-based stock-owning mutual fund, which I always advise index funds, total market index funds. So you still have some growth. Uh, instead of a bond fund from which you're getting much less, you would have an annuity. And it, to, to say, well, the, you're, you're trying to speculate on interest rates, that is not the point at that time of life. The point is, can you pay your bills? And can you pay your bills for life? Now, you have a whole chapter on the withdrawal rate from your retirement funds, which you call the speed limit on retirement spending, still 4%. There has been the traditional take out 4% a year and be able to live on that. That seems to be more questioned today. How do you figure out how much of your assets you should be taking out every year in retirement? Uh, and let me just uh, correct something that I, I think, in fact, is widely misunderstood, and that is this 4%. First, you're... We're talking about your financial assets, your stocks, your bonds, your mutual funds, your CDs, only that amount. How much can you take out per year and have it last for life, assuming it's partly invested in stocks and partly invested in bonds? And the traditional is 4% in the first year you retire, and then in each subsequent year that same amount of money, plus an increase for inflation every year. So it's not 4% a year, it's 4% the first year, and then each year increases for inflation. And that kind of recipe would have gotten you through the Great Depression, it would have gotten you through the, the terrible stagflation of the late 60s and 1970s, which was the worst time for retirees. And, and so far, it it's, keeps on working fine. So that's a pretty good uh, rate, but it's a little low. If you have, um, and it's based on owning uh, stocks that are in the S&P 500 index, large stocks. If you have a total market index fund, which is large stocks and small stocks, so you're diversified, then you can go up to 4.5% in the first year plus subsequent inflation adjustments. And if you are flexible in your spending, so you you have enough money, so you say, well, this year I don't have to take any money out. I'll just let it go because the market is bad. You could start with 5.5%. So there are recipes that you can figure out based on your personal circumstances and uh, have some confidence that your money will last for 30 years. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jane Bryant Quinn. Her new book is called How to Make Your Money Last, The Indispensable Retirement Guide. You can get it at Amazon.com or also check out her website, janebryantquinn.com. We'll be back after this. Great leaders today have certain capabilities that set them apart. These leaders have discovered transformational leadership. Now you can discover the same ideas, insights, and programs that have led them to success. Inside Transformational Leadership, 
hosted by Kate Ebner, is produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. We'll explore these stories and concepts every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jane Bryan Quinn. Her new book is called How to Make Your Money Last, The Indispensable Retirement Guide. Welcome back to the show, Jane. Thank you, Jordan. So you have a whole chapter on living on your life insurance this is not dying, uh, but this is getting the money out early to a, what's called a life settlement, I guess you might say, selling your cash value policy. How does that work and when is that appropriate to do? Uh, well, first, I, living on your life insurance is for uh, addressed specifically to people who have had universal policies or cash value life insurance policies all their lives. And they've got some cash in there and now maybe they don't need the life insurance anymore. Maybe they're single, maybe they're a widow. Uh, they, they don't have to, they, there's nobody that they have to support with their life insurance. So the question is, should you keep on paying premiums or should you figure out a way of taking the cash out of your insurance? Also, I want to say people who have universal life insurance of any type should absolutely check on it because universal life insurance is flexible. It does not necessarily last for life. And if you haven't been putting enough in it or if the investments in your universal policy are not good enough, your policy is apt to run out when you're 80 or 85, which will come as a terrible shock. But every year you get something from your insurance company, a report, and down at the bottom it tells you how much longer your life insurance will stay in force if all conditions that exist today remain the same. And you should take a look at that. And if it shows that you're going to run out of, uh, your life insurance is going to run out before you might, then you ought to get to it right away and restructure that because to, you might lose your life insurance and have a big tax bill too. So that, that's something people don't know about, and I was very eager to have them know about it. Yes. If you, um, and there are various ways of restructuring it, and I go through a whole bunch of them depending on the type of insurance you have. Sometimes the best thing for you to do might be to sell your policy. And you can sell, you might get, 
get the more money out of that than you get from restructuring your policy. But you, when you sell it, you have to, you have to be in poor health. So uh, healthy people cannot follow the system of selling their life insurance. So restructuring it and getting the cash out of it in some way will be much better. But if you are in quite poor health, there are um, agents, and I have them in the book, that you can go to who will um, help you. Uh, find an investor who will take over the life insurance. You'll get a lump sum, and at that point, the investor will pay the premiums. They will check in on you from time to time to make sure you're still alive, which can be a little awkward. But uh, it is a way of getting extra money out of your life insurance if you have a short lifespan ahead of you. And what do you think of index universal life, which seems to be very, very popular today, saying that if the market goes down, you don't get hurt, and you participate in the upside of the market with an insurance? Uh, do you want to guess what I think about that? Go, go for it. <laughs> in, it, it. Index is it's the risky thing. This is exactly the kind of universal life policy I was talking about before. You, you are relying on the stock market effectively to pay part of the premium that you will need to keep the life insurance policy in force. And if you are uh, paying enough premiums yourself, and if the, if the uh, stock market and the bond market have behaved, then your policy will stay in force and until 100 or 121 or whatever it is, and you'll be fine. But maybe you haven't been putting enough uh, money in premiums because premiums are flexible. Maybe your agent said, well, you don't have to put in so much. Or maybe you didn't put in premiums for a couple of years, which is something you can do with index life insurance. And then you start again. But the odds are, under these circumstances, and with if the market performs poorly, the odds are that you will not have enough cash in that life insurance policy to keep it going for up to age 100 plus, and these are exactly the people I am talking to. If you get that kind of a policy, you've got to watch it every year, every year, every year to see how long it will stay in force. And if uh, it looks as if it might run out, it might be a much better deal to restructure it, get a smaller policy, uh, or take the cash out if you really don't need life insurance anymore. Don't let it go, because if you let it go and it lapses at a certain point, you will have a tax bill and you'll have no life insurance. And very few owners of these policies understand that. So no, if you're counting on the stock market to do well, if the stock market does not do well, uh, it could lapse because you're not putting in enough to keep the cash value going. Absolutely. To keep it yeah. going, you might have to put in a higher premium. Financial planners tell me all the time that when they they get uh, customer clients who have recently retired and, and they're looking at all of their assets and this is the first time they've had a look at it, and they find people all the time who have underfunded their their index universal life. They did not put in enough premiums uh, to keep it going because the stock market uh, didn't do as well or the bond market didn't do as well as they expected when they first bought it 30 years ago. No surprise there. So they all of a sudden they tell their people, you have to put up a huge increase in premiums in order to keep this policy going. And it's a terrible shock to people. And if they don't keep it going, sometimes they have to 
there's a tax they owe on the money that they take out of it. These, you cannot imagine the kinds of problems that can arise there. At toward the end of uh, when you get retired and you're thinking how much longer you're going to live, you just have to be prepared with this kind of a cash value index life insurance universal policy to keep track of it every single year. And ideally, that's what your insurance agent should do for you, but also, more than likely, the agent who bought you the policy has been out of business for a long time and isn't interested in doing much else for you other than selling you a new policy if you (laughs) call him up or her up. So I just beg people who have these kinds of policies to look at that uh, at that note at the bottom of their annual statement, and just to be sure that their policy is still going to be enforced to age 100, and if it's not, to see immediately what they have to do to restructure it or to, to put more premiums in or to uh, restructure it to a smaller policy that will last for life if you still need life insurance. I mean, there are lots of things you can do, but you've got to do them in time. We have about two minutes to go. Just kind of sum up what a difference it would make in people's lives to take the advice you give in your book, How to Make Your Money Last, compared to what a lot of people are doing these days. Well, I find so many people are just scared about where they are. They, they're not sure what they should do. They're not sure when they should take their Social Security. They, they have so many questions about how much money that they, they can take out. And my feeling is that, you know, I, I have here in this book all these ideas of how to set up a system so that you can look ahead for 20 or 30 years and say, yes, I think I'm going to be able to live a, this lifestyle that I want. And once you've got that under your belt, Jordan, then you can get on with all the more important things in life. I mean, you want to build your financial base, figure out how to make it work, what kind of investments you need, do you need annuities, when should you take Social Security, all these questions are I have answered in this book. And then the, the purpose is to get that done so you can go out and enjoy yourself and live your life. You don't want to think about money all the time. And I'm hoping that people who go through this book and get this done then can go out and golf and grandchild and volunteer and take courses and uh, ride a bicycle across the country or whatever it is they want to do with their retirement because they know their money is going to last. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Jane Bryant Quinn. Her new book is called How to Make Your Money Last, The Indispensable Retirement Guide. You can get it at Amazon.com, and you can also check out her website, which is janebryantquinn.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Jane. My pleasure, Jordan, anytime. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 